relief factor, pain relief that's natural, pain relief that works, and pain relief that attacks the source of the pain. That's the experience of tens of thousands of Americans who are taking Relief Factor right now. See their incredible video endorsements at relieffactor.com and then order your three-week quick starter pack for just $19.95. That's less than a dollar a day. Find out if it can work for you like it works for me by ordering your three-week quick starter pack today. Relieffactor.com, relieffactor.com. Be the next success story. This episode of the America First podcast with me, Sebastian Gorka, is brought to you by Franklin Armory. Shop freedom, quality, and innovation at franklinarmory.com. Franklin Armory, we are facilitators of freedom. This is America First, and I'm delighted to welcome our special guest host, Jim Hansen. Hey, glad to be back. Uh, I hope nothing bad happened in the news during the break. I I always wonder about that. We live in such crazy times. Uh, I want to talk now because we've got Miranda Devine coming on at next segment. And if you're not sure, she's a New York Post journalist. She wrote The Laptop from Hell. She is one of the most well-informed and kind of the definitive voice on Hunter's laptop and that whole thing and the larger problem, which I want to delve into, which is the fact that there is a conspiracy and there has been ongoing collusion between the tech tyrants, the media, the deep state and Democrat operatives to censor and disinform the American public. And I, I think this is something that we've we've known about at some level. Because you can just see it happening. If you're paying attention at all and you're not, you know, a, a zombie of the left, you can tell that our entire information space is slanted to the left. But over the past five to ten years, it has become so grotesquely out of shape that, that I don't think at this point, you know, there's a way for America to continue to function as a constitutional republic when the vast majority of our people do not get accurate information and cannot get accurate information. For a long time, I would have said the problem is people are just too busy. You know, they're, they're taking the kids to soccer. They're living their lives. They've got better things to do than track the news and the politics and all the stuff. So they would watch the local news and, and get a version of it. But at least something vaguely resembling reality from your local news broadcast. Well, those days are gone. There is no outlet now that allows the average person to just, without thinking about it, click or watch or see or read anything that is going to give you an unbiased, accurate, you know, what would have in the old days been called journalistic view of events. Everything's partisan. Everything's political. And at this point, everything's woke. And that means the American public can't make accurate decisions about anything in their life because they don't know what's going on. You know, I, I, I know I don't know what's going on, and I spend a considerable amount of time. My professional life is involved in information warfare. So we track 
what everybody's doing. We track what the left's doing. We track what the right's doing. And for a long time, before we started focusing on domestic issues, we tracked what the world was doing. WorldStrat is my company. And you don't know us because we do this behind the scenes. But what we did is we would look at what enemies of the United States were doing and saying. We would look what allies of the United States were doing and saying. And we would attempt to influence them by stopping bad things and pushing good things. Well, that's what's happening to us domestically because the U.S. government, the media, the tech tyrants, and the deep state are doing that to us. And now they've been caught. So the, the Hunter Biden's laptop, hiding Hunter's laptop, which if you go to worldstrat.com, click on our portfolio, there's a white paper there that will explain it. There's also a super cool video that, that walks you through who did what, but they worked together to both censor the information and then create a disinformation story that ironically said that the Hunter Biden laptop was Russian disinformation. Pretty, uh, pretty bold to go ahead and do disinformation and call it Russian disinformation. So all of that's there. And I think it's important now that this is coming out, you know, in the Twitter files, as Elon showed, that the, the people at Twitter knew it was a lie. They knew all of this was BS, but they did it anyway as that scumbag weasel Yoel Roth admitted because they didn't want a replay of 2016 where Hillary's emails took her out. Her own emails, the facts in her emails took her out. It's not like it was hacked, although it was. That didn't matter. What mattered was the information in her emails was so heinous that the American people looked at it and said, she's a horrible person. We can't vote for her. They didn't want that to happen again and have the public find out that Joe and Hunter and the rest of his family were completely corrupt, taking foreign money and selling our country out so that Hooker could buy crack and blow and hookers and everything else. Did I say Hooker could say it? So that Hunter could do it. Bottom line, all of that now is in play. We know they're doing it. We've seen it. But that's the tip of the iceberg. This has been going on before Hunter's laptop, and it's still going on today. That cabal is still in operation. And what happens, and, and we now have evidence of, which is, is coming out in lawsuits like the one the Missouri and uh, Louisiana attorneys general have sued the Biden administration for censoring people about the Hunter laptop story, about COVID, and about election integrity. Because the government was telling the tech companies who to censor and what to shut down. And that's a violation of the Constitution. There's a Supreme Court ruling that says the government cannot outsource to private companies things that itself is forbidden to do. But they've been doing it. So they're caught. And this is brilliant. And this is great because now, instead of just knowing that the playing field's tilted and everything you know, is to the advantage of the left, we've got proof that they're doing it purposely and that they're conspiring and that they had, have basically created a way to invalidate the American people's ability to make informed decisions. And that's intolerable. And consequently, we now can act. 
And I think the question is, first of all, how can we fully expose this? Because it's got to be laid out there. We have to know everything they were doing. And that's coming. There are hearings coming. And there are, like I said, the lawsuits. And they can't hide from it. But they're trying. Even now, as the Hunter laptop story came out, the reaction from all the usual suspects was, oh, that was just the Biden administration saying, take down the pictures of Hunter's junk. You know, as if that was the only thing this was about. It was not. All right. That was incidental. It was about the conspiracy to misinform the American people. So that that is their their reaction again to being caught censoring and doing disinformation was to do more disinformation. And and we can't let them get away with it. So I, th- I think it's going to be interesting. Um, we're doing everything we can. My company is, is digging into this. We're using some pretty powerful AI software to look at the connections between all of the names involved and find their connections and all of that. So we're connecting tons of dots because there are dots to connect because there's an active conspiracy. So this is literally, uh, you know, I think Jack Posobiec said it. It's an, uh, you know, Elon bought a crime scene. So that was a crime scene. The, the nice thing about it is as he puts out what happened at Twitter, we know the same or worse things happened at Google, Facebook, YouTube, all of the rest of those people. They did the exact same stuff. So what we're doing now is now we're taking the information from Twitter and saying, okay, this government person talked to this person. They probably talked to this person. And now all those dots start to connect themselves. All of that information is going to the, the committees in the House who will be going ahead and, and doing those kind of hearings and, and putting that out and then making policy. Like we talked with Will Chamberlain and with all of you, the, the callers, about what can we do to make this better? We don't want government intervention. We want them to change their evil ways. And now that they've been caught, we may be able to shame them. We may be able to pressure their boards And if not, then we will use, we will drop the hammer. We will put a boot on their neck and force them to do it. But at least now we've got the opportunity to show the American people that this was not just a, oh, you know, it's just conservatives whining because no one likes their content. No, it's conservatives noticing that our content was hidden and leftist content was promoted. And that's unfair. Now, again, private companies can do that. Until they become a monopoly and until they abuse that power in collusion with the government. So that's not allowed. So we've got them. I mean, we got them and they're, they're not going to like it. They're going to squeal and they're going to lie. They're going to do more censorship and more disinformation. And we're going to catch them at that too. So expect all of this. It's, it's all going to come out. It's going to be Watergate-ish. You know, pick your political scandal. There hasn't been a really good one. You know, none of the scandals with Trump were even real got to go back to probably Watergate, but whatever. It's going to be a political scandal, and we're going to show it. And uh, I think the result will be not just Twitter becoming more of a a platform with free speech, but the rest of the tech tyrants are going to have to to go ahead and open up a little bit themselves and let us be heard and seen. Um, We've got Miranda Devine coming up, as I mentioned, New York Post uh, journalist and and author of Laptop from Hell. And we're going to dig into some more of the specifics and and some more of the stuff that's coming out that proves and shows just exactly how deep this rot goes. And we're going to use that. We're going to use that to rile up the American people, to rile up their elected representatives, and to scare the hell out of the boards of all these tech companies because they need us. 
we're half this country and we're going to use our power. This is Jim Hansen sitting in for Dr. G, who's in Israel. Uh, think about going on that trip next year. We'll be back after the break. Whether it's the regular Hellcat or whether it's the compensated RDP with that miniature red dot, I love them all. How did it take so long to invent a factory compensated subcompact 9mm? Well, guess what? Springfield did it, and I'm a huge fan, and I'm Sebastian Gorka. The Hellcat from Springfield Armory is still the smallest, highest-capacity micro-compact in the world. Available in standard or optics-ready configurations, class-leading capacity of the Hellcat gives you 11 plus 1 with the standard magazine and 13 plus 1 with the included extended mag. The definitive concealed carry pistol is here. The Hellcat from Springfield Armory gives you the capacity to defend. Welcome back to America First with our very special guest, Uncle Jimbo. It's Jim Hansen. Welcome back, folks. Uh, again, glad to be sitting in for Seb, who is in Israel with 350 lucky listeners. Uh, great trip. Um, but what we want to do now is I want to bring in Will Chamberlain, who is senior counsel at the Internet Accountability Project. And Will, welcome to the show, first of all. Obviously great to be with you, Jim. Yeah, man. I want to talk a little bit about... The new online information space that is unfolding before our very eyes. I mean, obviously, we've got we've got Elon, who is causing a tremendously disruptive ruckus that I am enjoying every second of, you know, and so there's there's change there. And I think there there are other things going on. And and I don't know that I've heard articulated and so I want to kind of mull over with you what any of this should look like. So one of the things that's happening right now is what they call the Journalism Competition and Preservation Act, which immediately made me feel skeptical, you know, because mm-hmm. as first of all, it's got it's, it sounds like a bailout for journalists. And it is. Mm-hmm. But what they did is when it first started, it was a bailout for journalists, including like the New York Times and Fox and everyone else. So it was a way for them to kind of get paid. And the, the rationale for it is Google and Facebook put, you know, the, the lead and a link to the story on their site and siphon away traffic from these people. And so now they're saying that Google and Facebook and others should have to pay them for that. OK, and at some level, I understand there should be a commercial relationship there, but it really sounded like a rent seeking way to, to tax Google and those guys. Not that I'm in support of Google or any of those guys, but I want to get your thoughts on as as we look at online content, who owns it and who should get paid? You know, that's really the question. Yeah. And I mean, there's I think there's a, a number of things to consider. First off, I mean, you know, Salem's on conservative media. I've used to run a conservative media outlet. I can tell you it's a very, very challenging thing to do just from a business perspective. And it's much more challenging now than it would have been, say, 20 years ago um, when the Internet was less dominant in terms of how people got their news. Uh, 
And so there's a real case to be made that, you know, there's a reason a lot of conservative outlets, places like the Daily Caller and the Washington Examiner and the Washington Times are all in support of this bill is because I think they see it as a very key lifeblood to keep their operations going. And as someone who ran human events, I, I understand where they're coming from. It's really hard to make money advertising. The way to think about it is it's collective bargaining for smaller uh, media outlets and smaller journalistic enterprises. Uh, it gives them the ability to bargain collectively with Google and Facebook uh, for the right to display and, 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 and link to their content. Um, and I think, you know, if I have to choose between a collection of media outlets, some of which are a good chunk of which are liberal, but a number of which are also conservative and would and really need something like this versus Google and Facebook, I think it's a pretty clear choice. Google and Facebook have been, you know, deeply adversarial to our interests for a long time and they're, they're massive monopolies themselves. So I, I don't I think that if anything, you know, this is this is a way to sort of balance the playing field a little bit. Yeah, and I, okay, at some point, we as conservatives uh, have to overcome our natural and proper instinct to hate governmental interference when the other team has already won the game and, and broken a system. So in this case, this is a kind of a cabal, you know, a collective bargaining, a, you know, to do it, but whatever. It's a way to create a collective to bargain against them in a, in a non, you know, way that I would choose, but to break a monopoly. You know, and, right. and to stop monopolistic, predatory business practices by Google and Facebook that, as you said, are damaging our cause. And I think there's a there's a lesson to be learned, at least in the short term, that we're at war. You know, this is a mm -hmm. cultural war and a war for the republic against the statist left. And even if we have to use some statist techniques in the short term, it beats losing Right. I mean, and, and this is a, you know, there's sort of the traditional idea about monopoly power was, you know, oh, well, the key thing to realize is that um, the only problem with monopoly power is if it's bad for consumers, right? That if, if, if monopolies are essentially using their power to charge exorbitant prices and because there's no competition, consumers are hurt. That's the only, that's the only problem with monopoly power. What, what Google and Facebook have demonstrated is that there's other problems with monopoly power too. And, and the big one being, what happens when they start using their monopoly power to instantiate their political beliefs and to put their thumb on the scale on domestic politics and the amount of power that they have is pretty dramatic. And so, you know, for a long time, I, I look at the, the monopoly power possessed by Google and Facebook, as long if it's going to be used politically against conservatives, then conservatives shouldn't be simply um, oblivious to the idea of using government power to weaken it. And, and here's something I think we need to consider in this, because let's do that. Uh, we have to. Mm -hmm. you know, it would be dumb not to. Right. Don't use weapons you have in a fight. But here's what mm -hmm. I, I worry about. When I, when I look at anyone who does a search for anything online, Google pretty much decides what you're going to find. You know, they, mm -hmm. they dominate search in a way that's, that's intolerable to me, but it's, it's a fact right now. Now, I wonder what's going to happen when they have to pay for conservative content. You know, are they simply going to game the algorithms then? And OK, well, it just won't show up in searches at all, you know, because that's well, I, that's the way they play it. They'll have to pay for everybody's content, including conservatives. I think that's the underlying logic here. I hope. Conservatives aren't getting their own unique cartel uh, and okay. or collective bargaining arrangement for themselves. They'll be part of a broader collective of bargaining arrangement, including progressives. And one one of the concerns that arose out of that was the idea that progressives would use that power to sort of impose different content restrictions on the conservatives. But there's been amendments. I think Ted Cruz had a had the specific amendment that 
basically said, no, this is collective bargaining in terms of monetary compensation only. Like you guys can bargain for uh, more payment from the companies, but you can't bargain about side issues. And but now, let me, from my perspective, that's a good thing. But my concern is I, that everyone would there. So you get set a rate. Okay, you're going to link my story. You set a rate. You have to pay this amount per click or whatever it is or view. You know, however they set that up. But again, no one's going to see that view unless Google allows it to be seen in search. Because we're talking about the way Google and Facebook import links and the lead of a story and then create a scroll of those stories when you search for content. And they already game that system. You know, so conservative ideas generally are not on even page one of a Google search. You know, that's the fun thing to do is do a Google search against, say, DuckDuckGo, you know, and you're going to see two completely different worlds as far as what it is. So I'm, I'm not sure that this is going to fully solve the problem. I think it solves the monetization thing, and I think it's good for there to be a cartel that's breaking a monopoly. Good. Let's do that. But then I think there's a follow-on that we're going to have to deal with about the algorithms they use, which I am 100% certain are very ideologically oriented. Yeah, I, I mean, this bill solves one very discrete problem that is not maybe at the core of the problem of big tech at all. This doesn't mean it's not a good thing. You don't want to let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it doesn't do anything about algorithmic manipulation. It doesn't do anything about the broader censorship of conservatives or deplatforming de conservatives. It doesn't do anything about the you know their broad monopoly power. In a sense, it gives one particular group of of companies the ability to negotiate collectively and get better rates. Um, and, you know, so those companies include some um, companies that should be very important to conservatives, like conservative media companies. So, you know, it's a good, I think it's a good it's thing, a start. but I don't think it's necessarily, you know, yeah. It's, yeah. It's well, then uh, let's, let's, uh, let's take a break here. And afterwards, I want to talk about what we should do about the rest of it, because that's where I see the opportunity now is Elon opened the door. He kind of put, you know, shape charges on it and blew it to smithereens. And now there's an opportunity to change things. So we'll be back with Will Chamberlain, Senior Counsel for the Internet Accountability Project with more America First Radio after the break. My pillow is excited to announce the original. My slippers are back in stock. Last Christmas, you made our slippers the number one selling my pillow product, and now they have added smaller sizes, larger sizes, wide sizes, and all new colors. What makes my slippers different is the exclusive four-layer design that you're not going to find in any other slippers. My slippers' patented layers make them ultra comfortable, extremely durable, and they help relieve the stress on your feet. Wear them anytime, anywhere, and save ninety dollars off with your promo code Gorka. That's only $49.98 a pair. You're absolutely going to love my slippers and now they are also extending their 60-day money-back guarantee until March 1st, 2023, making them the best Christmas gifts ever. Go now to MyPillow.com, promo code Gorka, or call 800-829-8468. That is code G-O-R-K-A to save $90, only pay $49.98. Quantities won't last. Order now, MyPillow.com. Welcome back to America First with our very special guest, Uncle Jimbo. It's Jim Hansen. 
Hey, glad to be back. Okay, um, Will Chamberlain and I, Senior Counsel of the Internet Accountability Project, are about to fix online content and, and all of it. So, Will, we got like five minutes. Here we go. I think that there's an opportunity now to break the monopoly the left has had on our information space because not just the Twitter files, which were anticlimactic, I think, on purpose. I think Elon held a lot back. But there's plenty of evidence, and more will come out, that the government has been colluding with tech and the left and the media to shut down ideas they want. So I think we're going to have an opportunity to fix that and to change that. So I, I, I'm just curious, aside from now having a free zone in, in Twitter, what else can we do to try and enforce the, the leveling of the playing field? So I think the, the big change to how you want to approach regulation is that before Elon bought Twitter, you kind of wanted to use every single tool at your disposal and whether or not they hurt the companies really badly or didn't, or didn't provide as much benefit as they could have, you know, it didn't matter. You just, a hammer was an appropriate tool to deal with the fact that the entirety of big tech was arrayed against the conservative movement. And just take a, you know, like Section 230 reform, for example, is, is kind of a blunt instrument to use against big tech. But now we're in a unique situation where all of a sudden we have one of the big tech companies and not just a big one, maybe perhaps the most uh, societally consequential one in Twitter. You can you can argue, in my view, compellingly that uh, everything that appears on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, it's usually derivative of what happens on Twitter because that's where the sort of public debate is is had and resolved um, before people generate content on those other platforms. So we need to kind of look at regulation a little differently with more of a scalpel than a hammer. And so I, I, you're trying to find ways to, you know, still go after companies like Facebook and Google um, and and Instagram and TikTok and, and companies like that while making sure that Twitter isn't, you know, you're not opening up Twitter to severe litigation, which obviously the left would want to do now um, because Twitter is no longer in their hands. So they, they um, want to kill the goose that laid the golden egg, even if, you know, it, it kills their own friends, too. OK, so now looking looking forward, then I, I think we want to kind of scare the other companies into opening up a little bit more freedom of speech now that they've seen. First of all, we caught them colluding, you know, and that information has come out. I know we personally have information we've given and will be giving more of to the House Oversight Committee and Senate and other people who will be holding hearings that is going to show direct collusion between Biden administration officials and, you know, people at the big tech companies telling them what and who to censor. That's bad, all right? And their boards are not yeah. going to like that. So is, is that now the lever we use? Do we go like the ESG, you know, stock things and, and put the influence on the boards to change corporate behavior? I think we do that. I also think you, you try and craft regulations in a way that, you know, affects the other companies more than it does, say, Twitter. So, for example, Elon's, you know, rewriting, I assume, his, uh, the terms and sort of, you know, the terms and services of Twitter uh, and already just in terms of what he's been doing in terms of bringing people back onto the platform, changing the enforcement of like COVID-19 rules and misgendering rules, um, you see that he's, you know, narrowing the scope of content moderation. You could easily find a way to, you know, create, you know, go back to the idea that I've talked about for a long time, the idea of talking about how platform access is a civil right, and then sort of make Elon's rules the standard that everybody else has to follow. And that if they don't follow them and if they're more restrictive on citizen speech, we would argue that that would constitute a civil rights violation. That would be one example of trying to take what used to be a blunt object saying that everybody needed to have access to a platform for any reason and then tailoring it so we aren't messing too much with Elon's Twitter 
but we're messing with the other companies. That's that's kind of the idea I'm getting at. Yeah, I, I like that. What about common carrier status? You know, is that too blunt at this point? You know, I've always liked it because if you serve more than a million people, you should serve them all. Can we use that? I think we could. I think, again, it would need to be, you want to have, you, again, the changes you want carve outs to make sure that it's not restricting Twitter's operations too heavily or giving the existing regime the opportunity to go after Twitter. Um, and so there's a lot more care that has to be done. I mean, it's 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 really interesting. Section 230 for reform, I think now is is very challenging because if you change Section 230, you definitely give people the ability to sue Twitter, um, and you give over over content that appears on Twitter, um, and that's that's not something I don't think the conservative want, movement wants to enable now because Twitter is now a friendly a friendly place. Um, yeah. And it's one of the few places where we're now allowed to, to have our voices shout. And we never were the ones who wanted to regulate. We were only, like you said, we'll use the tools we have to to do what we have to do. Um, well, those mm-hmm. great ideas, and let's, uh, let's keep it going. I want to continue this conversation with the audience. I'm going to open the phone lines up, 833-33-GORKA, 833-334-6752. Give us a call and let us know what you think about free speech. Um, we'll... Will Chamberlain, thanks for for being on the show. Uh, Senior counsel at the Internet Accountability Project and one of the smart guys I like to bring on because he's always got a good idea. This is Jim Hansen sitting in for Seb. We'll be back after the break. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Welcome back to America First with our very special guest, Uncle Jimbo. It's Jim Hansen. Hey, folks. Welcome back. Uh, look, we were talking a little bit before the break about the, the overall cabal that controls our information space and the fact that it is now being exposed for everyone to see. And I think that's a fantastic thing. Um, let's talk a little bit about the specifics of what happened with the Twitter files. So what Elon Musk did was he took the communications between the executives there at Twitter when the Hunter Biden laptop story broke and he showed them to the world. And and what happened was it was October 2020, right before the election, October 14th, the New York Post story detailing Hunter's laptop and the and some of the information that showed corruption to the world and instantly Twitter blocked that. They shut down links. They suspended the New York Post's account. 
and they did all those things. And the the communications between the Twitter executives showed one thing perfectly clear. Okay, it showed that they knew that what they were doing wasn't true. So we got Miranda Devine joining us now, New York Post, author of The Laptop from Hell, which is the definitive tome on this. But Miranda, the Twitter files, the initial thing, not groundbreaking, not anything most people didn't already know, but there's a lot more coming and there's some good things that have come out that you had a, a column about as far as what they were told, what Joel Roth told the Federal Election Commission and some other things. Catch us up on the since the Twitter files. Hi, Jim. Yes. Look, what we know that's uh, come out in the last few days since Elon Musk allowed some information to trickle out uh, about the censorship of the New York Post story on the Hunter Biden laptop, what we know now uh, is um, that from the deposition of FBI agent Elvis Chan, uh, that there was conversations about Hunter Biden um, in those weekly FBI meetings with social media companies. Um, he denies that those conversations were part of warnings that the FBI... Oh, he doesn't deny, he says he can't recall if the <laughs> FBI warned, yeah, these social media companies before the election to look out for these uh, hack and leak uh, material. Um, but we do know that Yoel Roth, who was the top guy at Twitter executive for site integrity uh, he gave a sworn statement back in December of 2020 as part of a, a lawsuit against Twitter uh, before the or not the lawsuit but a complaint to the FEC against Twitter he actually stated that during those weekly meetings with the FBI the FBI told Twitter in his presence to expect uh, likely in October a dump of hacked material that would include material about Hunter Biden, and they called it a hack and leak operation by state actors, meaning Russia. So uh, that was exactly the same lie that was told after the election in that letter, that infamous letter written by 51 former intelligence officials who said that the Hunter Biden laptop story had all the earmarks of a Russian information operation. And, of course, that letter... Uh, those lies that were being spread by people like Adam Schiff, the Democrat who was is still chair of the House Intelligence Committee, and others they fanned across the media to tell the big lie that the Hunter Biden laptop and our stories, therefore, were Russian disinformation, a smear from the Kremlin organised by Donald Trump. And that worked. Uh, half the country just didn't believe it didn't hear about it because there was a complete um, silence by the, the sort of left-wing Democrat-leaning media like New York Times, Washington Post. And, uh, you know, polls show that if Biden voters had known the full extent of the corruption revealed uh, in our stories, that they wouldn't would have changed their vote. And that may have been enough to swing the election. Now, here, here's the worst thing, OK? It's bad enough that they went ahead and, and gave that warning. Because if, if there actually was something like that going to happen, we'd want them to do that. But we know that they knew that there was no state actor involved because Ratcliffe, who was DNI at the time, said that they already had the information. They had already looked at the laptop and there was not one shred of evidence of any state actors or hacking involved. The FBI had had the laptop for a year. 
And so they went and sent these information, and they did to Zuckerberg, too, because Zuckerberg said on Joe Rogan's show that the FBI gave him basically the same warning. So they're lying, trying to tempt these uh, social media companies into doing what they wanted anyhow, which was to censor it and do disinformation. Exactly. Exactly. That is a really crucial point. The FBI knew that what they were telling the social media companies was not true, that there was the they'd had the laptop now since December 2019. They were given it by the computer repair shop owner where Hunter had dropped it off and abandoned it. His name is John Paul MacIsaac. He uh, had tried to contact them all through the fall of 2019, had great difficulty. Finally, two agents came and picked up the laptop with a subpoena, gave him a sort of a sinister, strange warning. He took it as a warning. They said to him, uh, one of them as he left, uh, we we find that people who don't talk don't get into trouble. (laughs) Wow. uh, Yeah, and they also picked up a copy of the laptop, a hard drive copy of the laptop. They may have thought that that was all there was because we know from FBI whistleblowers that they then buried that laptop, did not allow uh, any other, uh, you know, good FBI people, if there are, um, to investigate it. They made it off limits for any investigations. And as John Paul MacIsaac says, um, he just assumed after several months that they'd just thrown in the Potomac. And that's (laughs) what prompted him in the summer of 2020 um, to uh, try and contact Republican congressmen. He had no luck there. Finally, he managed to get an email through to Rudy Giuliani and told him chapter and verse about what he'd seen on the laptop, what he'd been concerned about. He was very savvy, John Paul MacIsaac. He went right to the heart of the problem which was the money that was coming into the Biden family uh, from, from Ukraine and from China uh, and, and through to Joe Biden that potentially was, had compromised one of the two candidates for president in the 2020 election. And he knew also that um, Donald Trump was impeached over the Ukraine nonsense and he knew it was nonsense because he had the laptop and he saw the document. So he tried to get the FBI interested they weren't. Uh, he didn't go to the media. He was trying to, you know, get this into the right hands so that it could be dealt with on a national security level. And and Rudy Giuliani got that email with screenshots and a very forensic explanation of the national security problems uh, that John Paul MacIsaac had seen on the laptop. And guess what? The FBI was spying on Rudy Giuliani at that time. They had access to that email. So they knew by then that even though they'd buried the laptop, that, uh uh-oh, John Paul MacIsaac had kept a copy and he was now disseminating it to Donald Trump's personal lawyer. They knew in August of 2020 that that story was going to come out before the election. But they didn't care. Well, they did care. They did care. And that's they why they, they cared to, social to bury media it. Companies to debunk it. Right. To, to deliberately tell them, be on the lookout for this story about Hunter Biden and make sure you censor it. And that's exactly what Facebook and Twitter did. Well, Miranda, thank you for staying on this. And people follow everything she writes at the New York Post because she gets it right. Miranda Devine, author of Laptop from Hell. We'll be back after the break with more America First.
this is America First, and I'm delighted to welcome our special guest host, Jim Hansen. I have no I, I know I should recognize that that intro music because it's some fruity movie. Lord of the Rings. Okay, I knew you were gonna do that to me. Um but hey, welcome back. And this segment and the next one, because he's gonna stay, we have the greatest of West Coast warlords and a man who celebrated the 35th anniversary of his deployment to Desert Storm, Colonel Kurt Schlichter. Welcome, How brother. How you doing, man? Hey, hey, does that make you the Frodo of uh, the Gorka show? Yeah, is that? I don't know. We'd have to work that out. I guess Seb gets to pick his characters. I'm not sure. Well, there, there was. I think he's Sauron. Ah, <laughs> he's got the eye. He scares people. But I, you know, just what, what Lord of the Rings has a lot of tension in it between the Frodo Sam thing, and I'm not judging. It's not. It's I a little bromancy. There's nothing wrong with that. We have a bromance. We actually celebrated our bromance, and then our wives have a little girl crush thing going on. Yes, yes, they did. They, uh, In fact, off, off air, you and I were uh, talking about meat. Exactly, and that, that set them off, as well it should. Um, I want to remind people that Kurt is the author of the Kelly Turnbull series, and the latest book, Inferno, makes a great Christmas present. Great cover. I can tell you for certain that man meat is discussed in there. Great stakes. Yes. And tons of people get shot in great ways, in, in compelling and informative ways. So um, get that because I think it's a great book everyone should read. But here's what I want to talk about, brother. I want to talk about fixing the GOP and turning it into a fighting machine. And I think we both have come out publicly in support of Harmeet Dillon to be yes. the next GOP chair. Tell me why you think she's the one. Well, look, there's, there's two great arguments for Harmeet. One is Harmeet's uh, talent, experience, and skills as a uh, election lawyer, as a media personality, as someone who I know as a fellow California lawyer, I, I actually refer cases to him. Uh, there are cases that will cross my transom. I kind of handle conservative cases behind the scenes, stuff except for you know things like the ben shapiro case uh harmeet does it publicly and when there's a public case i feed it to harmeet ron coleman who's also at her firm because that's how much i i respect her i think she is fantastic that's the argument for harmeet the argument uh uh, uh for rona mcdaniel is she's a five-time loser <laughs> Okay, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that we're not going to pull it off in Georgia today. If you're in Georgia, of course, go out there and vote. But you know, you know, if Rona's got a got her hands in it, you know, she's she's last four of the last four. I, I I'm not sure what the U-turn would be in the last two weeks. The fact is, this woman has an unbroken track record of failure, and I know she's a nice lady. Uh, people who know her say she's a very nice lady. I don't care. <laughs> she's nice. I don't want her for a neighbor. Uh, I, I, I want to see results. Right. And the only results I see are Democrats doing a little happy dance. <laughs> okay. And, and that's fair. I mean, I don't understand. But this is we're talking about the GOPE where the yep. only rule is don't rock the boat and don't stop the gravy train for our idiot cousins at the country club who are making yes. all those $500 an hour consulting gigs sucking. 
So I think at some level, we, the people who make up that party, need to say we want a fighting team. And, and I've heard people say, and I want your opinion on this, that Harmeet used to be a, a, a rhino and she used to be this. And, and she's you know, really, in, because she's been working with the RNC, she's somehow tainted. Now, I, I know her enough to believe that's not true. You know her better. No, right? No, absolutely not. And let me let me bring up an important point. Any consultant who gets five hundred dollars an hour is a lousy consultant. Okay, I won't pick up the phone for five hundred dollars an hour <laughs> because I actually get things done. I actually get results, and Harmeet gets results. That's what I want, and I'm unsentimental. Harmeet is a friend, but if she wasn't the right person, I'd say Harmeet, I'm sorry, you're not the right person for this job. Nothing personal. Everybody's not right for every position. Uh, you were in the military, just like I was. Some guys need to be operations officers. Some guys need to be first sergeants. And some guys need to be handing out volleyballs down at MWR. That's just how it is. Rana, here's a, a silver Seiko, because gold watches are for closers. You need to move on. Yeah, you need to move on to a nice job at a think tank where you can't do any more damage. And I suggest everybody read my town hall on Thursday, which is uh, entitled... Uh, uh, is Senator Tom Tillis just and the rest of the Republican establishment just stupid? Uh, <laughs> and it talks about this race as well as Tom Tillis's massive, massive idiocy about trying to push amnesty on the Republican Party. I, I you know, a dumber a traitor. I don't know which. Well, now, all right, let's let's expand this a bit, because I think it, let's new leadership is vital. A fighting yes. mentality is vital. But the, all of this comes down to one thing. I think we need to find ourselves as the political right, something we all can agree on. And that's everybody who is you know to the right of the never Trumpers who we don't need to talk to. And and the bulwark, you know, staff who are busy not satisfying their wives to go ahead and get that out of the way oh, for you. <laughs> but can we just be never dem for this election and say whoever yes. it is, I will vote for whoever comes through whatever Absolutely. primary at whatever level who's not the Democrat on the ticket? Absolutely. Uh, I mean, for gosh sake, if Nikki Haley got the nomination... Mm. I would hold my nose and vote for her over a Democrat. Yep. And I don't want to vote for Nikki Haley. Don't make me vote for Nikki Haley. But that's where we're at. And we've, we've got to fight the battle that we're presented with on the battlefield where they dropped us. We don't get to choose our own. We don't get to change the facts. These are the facts. And the facts, you know, the facts don't change because we're sad. Rona McDaniel is terrible, and she needs to go. So, uh, a guy like Tom Tillis is terrible. He needs to be primary. But in the meantime, no amnesty. And you look at the House uh, speaker fight. I'm no fan of Kevin McCarthy. He's not my first choice. But there's nobody else. And right. if we keep screwing around, a bunch of moderates are going to hook up with the Democrat, get a moderate speaker who's going to be a Democrat. And, and that's the that game. Happen. It's happened in other legislatures. And if you think it can't happen, you have a hell of a lot more faith <laughs> in the uh, brains of the Republican Party than I do, buddy. Well, and it, it, the smart move at this point, and I think this is what's happening from what I've heard, you know, is that the, the America First guys and gals are now ascendant 
but not dominant. And so yes. because they'll have to take a deal with McCarthy, they've got leverage. Yes. So instead of you know going deal. ahead and making a fight out of it, they're doing the back channel thing, which they're in the, you know, the non cigar filled rooms. But they're saying, give us the committee chairs, give us the, the high ranking spots in places where we can have influence and we'll vote for you and you can continue to be the guy. And then our whole team advances. Yes. Yes, they've got to do a deal. Now, you know, as you know, I'm a noted Los Angeles trial lawyer. I spent all this morning on the phone making deals and I didn't get everything I wanted. But boy, I got pretty good deals. I got a lot of what I wanted, and I got some happy clients because that's how it works. Guy, if you want to win and dictate terms, which I'm all for, you've got to win enough. McCarthy didn't pull off enough. Uh, uh, he didn't pull off the red wave we wanted. Also, thank you, Rona. Uh, he, he got a very narrow majority, which means he's got to act like it. So he needs to compromise. Our Freedom Caucus guys, who you and I are much more comfortable with, here's a message. Make a deal. Make a deal. Get it done. Don't roll the dice because your track record on success is mixed. <laughs> and, and okay, I'm fine with that. You know, we want them to learn from their mistakes. And yeah. we want them to hold the, the people we make deals with accountable for their mistakes. Because the yes. whole goal is to gain enough center of gravity to roll over the other side like a snowball coming down a hill. Oh, when you talk like that, I want a cigarette and a cuddle. Yeah, ooh. Hey, you know, I, I think uh, we've got some things coming up. We got the the... This in January, end of January is when the RNC meeting is. So again, I'm going to remind everybody to call your local state party, not your local party, your state Republican party, and let them know you want Harmeet, not Rona. You want a fighting leader for our national team because they're the ones who uh, appoint the delegates who make the vote in January. So tell them uh, in California, everywhere else, because at this point, this is inside game for us. Every well, California actually matters in this. It, it, it does. And, you know, this is a time when the base needs to engage. I did a poll on my Twitter account at Kurt Schlichter. Go follow me. Uh, Five thousand nine hundred ninety two people responded. I asked who you wanted the RNC. Number one was Rona McDaniel again. Point six percent out of six thousand. Ninety nine point four percent of people voted for something else. Jim. That's everything. 99.4% of Americans couldn't agree that Nickelback is terrible. Right. Okay, well, maintain that level of outrage because after the break, we got a couple more things to dissect. We're talking with Colonel Kurt Schlichter, author of Inferno. I'm Jim Hansen. More America First in a minute. Welcome back to America First with our very special guest, Uncle Jimbo and Jim Hansen. All right, a little more Ramstein kicking us back in because industrial is the game. I still need to hear ministry at some point before the end of the hour. I want to do with sympathy. That's the one I want to hear the 
synth pop. Uh, we're back Schlichter, author of Inferno, the latest book in the Kelly Turnbull series, full of bad guys getting shot, good guys dominating, great stakes, great stories. And Kurt, since it's you and me, we need to talk about our plan for global domination, or at least, at least North American domination. And that requires a fighting wing for the GOP. So we've already decided to replace Ronna McDaniel with Harmeet Dillon. But then what do we do? So what's, Harmeet goes in day one. What's the first thing you want her to do? Well, the first thing I want her to do is clean house. I want her to find the people who are just taking up oxygen and wasting it, uh, a la Elon Musk, and, and help them find some else to do. Uh, you want a, a slim and trim and focused crew. I go a lot younger. I go more tech savvy. There, there are different, look, you could look at it as a battle staff. You could look at it as uh, a little different, you know, operations, you know, some logistics, but you need communications. Uh, that's a major, t- you need donor relations. She's got a lot of silos that she's got to uh, 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 fill. And what she needs is a game plan. What she needs is a really good operations officer. Ah, what are you doing next year? Well, that's, you know, <laughs> I, I know I know an Army colonel who doesn't have a job right now. His name's Lee Zeldin. I think he'd do a tremendous oh, job. If we could get the two of them together and somehow oh, yeah. work out the, the oh, yeah. power sharing, that would be the best of both worlds. Well, the thing is, you have to, you have to visualize the, uh, the staff to support the synchronized operation. God, now I'm talking like officers. <laughs> doing what you got to do, because as the commander, she shouldn't be in there in the trenches. She should be setting policy, uh, relating to donors, relating to the base, and checking. And yeah. I, I, I would like to see, you know, her roll up at, you know, Georgia's uh, GOP and say, "Hey, I'm coming in. Let's all have coffee and let's talk. And you tell me what you're seeing and what you need and what the ground truth is." And and I think one thing, the nice thing about her being a lawyer, if you, you, I've had to adjust my worldview yep. since we're buddies and you're a lawyer, but you need them because lawfare yes. is the game. And right now we got destroyed every election, 2020 yes. and 2022, because we didn't know the rules and get the either get the rules changed that needed to be changed or play by them well because we somehow didn't understand the game. I know she knows the game. So that's yes. going to be part of it is getting a, a team of savage lawyers who aren't just busy, you know, putting dimples in their knot who are actually making the other side cry. Yeah. What you need is a game plan uh, that it takes into account identifying bad laws, changing those you can, challenging those you can't and pursuing those challenges ahead of the election. And going out there and where necessary, getting injunctions. So if suddenly the. The, uh, none of the voting machines work. You can go, hey, I already got an injunction saying that you had to have the uh, voting machines work. Who's going to get held for contempt of court? And put a little fear of God into these people. Nice. Because, I like that. Again, there is no accountability after. It's all proactive. And, and that's what happens is we, we end up failing to do what needs to be done, failing to plan and plan is planning to fail. We really are giving a staff briefing, aren't we now? Pretty soon. We, we, we sure are. All right, so let's jump out for one second. I, I want for everybody who's totally old school, prior to PowerPoint, there was Harvard Graphics. Do you remember Harvard oh, Graphics? Yes. And prior to Harvard Graphics was the over, overhead projector with a slide on it, yep. right? 
when I, I told you that time when I got sent to staff because my team sergeant was mad at me and I had to work at group headquarters, I actually used to be the guy in the back saying next slide at the big conference table at group headquarters with Harvard graphics and overhead projectors. I know that's uh, important to me. Someday I'll tell you about the time I had to brief the dumbest general officer I ever met, Ricardo Sanchez. Oh, you're the, naming uh, names. Okay, I, I, I will. Uh, let's have that conversation because I think that's a fun one. I know some dumb ones, oh, too. Oh, gosh. All right, so we've got Harmeet's ass taking names. She's cleaned house like Elon Musk. The next thing we got to do, and, and people want to skip over this, is we got to have better candidates and coherent yes. messaging. It, it, exactly. And a lot of them are nice people. Look, Herschel Walker will be a great candidate if he pulls it off today, which I hope he does. If you're in Georgia, go vote for him. He's a good guy. But if he doesn't pull it off, he's not a good candidate. Okay? A good candidate's designed defined as a candidate who wins. <laughs> we need to vote. I, I, I don't want a candidate I, I like. I want to vote in the Senate and in the House. Yeah. Look, this is about numbers. Look, I... I I don't know anything about baseball, but I really enjoyed the movie Moneyball. Right. Because it was a very, it, it was an absolutely objective look at how do I get the most points to win the most games? What do I have to do? And it throws out all the received wisdom and just basically coldly makes choices based on what will benefit us right now. And that's what we have to do in politics. So we got to recruit okay? Brad Pitt. Uh, Jody Hill in California. <laughs> I think you do well here. But no, I, I mean, look, we've got to get candidates. Look, we know what candidates win. Mike DeVine, DeWine, he's not as conservative as I am, but he was seen as competent. Brian Kemp, also not as conservative as I am, seen as competent. Glenn Youngkin's a winner. You know, got, uh, drawn DeSantis, of course. These are guys who showed competence and strength, and the voters responded competence, normality. That's what the voters are looking for this cycle. In 2016, they were looking for novelty. They were looking for a revolution. Now they're looking to get back to normal. That's we funny. Yeah. To give the people what they're asking for. And and we did. That was the, that was the start of the counterattack because we were deep, deep in the uh, eight years of Obama. We were in the, the yes. hinterlands. We were up in the mountains planning. You know, you and I were yep. our warlords with the flag yep. up in the mountains recruiting a team. But we yep. with that counterattack, we gained some ground and then we lost it back, which is what happens in a guerrilla war. But now yes. we're at the point in the guerrilla war. We're near a breakout. We have, we have gotten to the point where I think the momentum is with us, and if we do smart things, then we should dominate the next election cycle. I, I think we should. We should have dominated this one. We made some mistakes, uh, and we need to ruthlessly analyze what we did right and what we did wrong, and we did a lot wrong. Now, again, we didn't lose this election cycle. We didn't meet the expectations that we set and that historical trends and other factors would indicate that we, we, we should have. We didn't reach our potential. That's a, that is a law. Uh, but we are moving forward. And if you look at the Senate, even despite, you know, Porter Witts like Tom Tillis, uh, <laughs> the guy who never met a Democrat initiative he didn't think was a great idea, there are a lot fewer of these halfwits in power now than there were. Ten years ago, you know, there'd be 30 Republicans going, well, maybe amnesty for dreamers is a good idea because they're dreamers. Now he's got to struggle to get 10. 
Well, let's keep it to 10 and and cut away at that number as we can. Kurt Schlichter, author of Inferno, Kelly Turnbull, latest book. Get that. Give it away for Christmas because people will thank you for it. Uh, Good to be with you, brother. I want to open the phone lines again. 833-33-GORKA, 833-334-6752. we got a half hour left. I want to know what America thinks. Back after the break with more America First. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 